Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. What's that saying? To lose one family member is unfortunate. To lose a second looks like carelessness. But to lose three, I think that probably starts to look a little bit sniffy. I am J.A. Lovelock. Welcome to my podcast. In this episode of Behind the Yellow Tape, I consider the case of Grace Duff, who was very closely associated with a touch of poison in Croydon. Grace Duff was clearly so unfortunate and seemingly so careless to lose two close family members, and it appears she was on course to lose a third. So what's going on? Let's start from the very beginning. Once upon a time, in the late 1920s, there was a Thomas Sidney and his ex-wife Violet Sidney, and their three children, Thomas Jr., daughter Vera, and daughter Grace, all living in Croydon, south of London. Grace being the youngest and probably fair in face. <laughs> See what I did there. At some point in time, Grace met and married Major Edmund Duff, who was 17 years her senior. She was 25 and Edmund was 42. <laughs> I've done the maths. The two were actually introduced by Grace's own father, Thomas Sidney. Now, Edmund was no Prince Charming, it has to be said. He was crude and argumentative and he had a fondness for spending money, money that he and Grace didn't have. Grace, by all accounts, had in fact married beneath her social and financial status, her father Thomas being a prominent barrister of his day. So not only was Edmund a crude and argumentative sort, but he was also lacking in financial means. But despite all this, Edmund and Grace appeared to be happily married, until... Sadly, this seemingly happy marriage came to an abrupt end when Edmund mysteriously falls ill on the 26th of April, 1928. Earlier in the day, Edmund had been fishing in the River Avon in Hampshire with his old friend Harold Edwards. He was apparently quite well during his fishing trip, for on his return home, his wife Grace remarked that he was brown and rosy-looking which, according to Edmund, she mistook for the fever he was having. Grace later reported that she sat with Edmund all evening and she didn't think that he was seriously ill at that time. But when they went up to bed, he came over all peculiar. His face flushed and turned green. For no good reason, Edmund developed a temperature. He couldn't keep anything down and when he ate, it all came out again, at both ends. The doctors were sent for, and Dr. Robert Elwell attended. Was Edmund suffering from a common stomach upset that would soon go away? Alas, no. Poor Edmund continued to suffer terrible stomach cramps. At each passing day, the usually tough and stout former army major grew weaker and weaker. He couldn't even stand up. He spent his days lying in bed, helpless, where he moaned and groaned in pain whilst drenched in cold sweat. But very soon, 
Edmund would be relieved from his suffering because at 11 p.m. on the 27th of April 1928, 59-year-old Edmund expired, much to the hysterics of his wife Grace. As was the norm, as is the norm in these circumstances, a post-mortem and an inquest followed on the 1st of June 1928. But neither the post-mortem nor the inquest could find anything untoward here. That is, they found no signs of food poisoning or any other toxins present in Edmund's body. The family sat calmly and listened to the judgment of the jury. Major Edmund Duff died of natural causes. So as far as things went, the family took the jury's assertion that this had been a tragic death. And everyone hoped that now Grace Duff could get on with her life free from tragedy. She was still young enough, about 34, to find a new love and perhaps even get married again. Everyone was ready to forget the dramatic events surrounding both the Duff and, of course, the Sydney family. After Edmund's death, the Sydney family rallied around Grace and her children. They'd been John Edmund, age 14, Grace Mary, age 12, and baby Alistair Michael. Grace was persuaded to move from her house at 6 South Park Hill Road to Bird House Rise, all still in Croydon. Grace and the children moved into number 59 Bird House Rise, while Grace's mother Violet Sidney and sister Vera Sidney lived at number 29 with their cook and living servant Katie Noakes. Keep in mind the name Katie Noakes. So after the shock of Edmund's sudden and puzzling death wore off, life went on for both Grace and her children, as well as the Sydney family, as Mother Violet and Sister Vera. But oddly enough, now strange things started to happen to Vera. Vera never married, even though she was an attractive and vivacious woman. She was a woman who enjoyed bridge, golf and brisk country walks. She even owned a Citroen car, which she loved to crank up and go for adrenaline-charged fast drives. So you get the picture of who and what kind of woman Vera was. So it came as a bit of a surprise when in January of 1929, Vera started to feel unwell. This normally robust and energetic woman complained of feeling tired all the time. And she was also nauseous quite a lot. Hmm... And on the 10th of February 1929, Vera did something she'd never done before. She stayed in bed all day. Shock of horrors. The poor woman was too sick to leave the house. Oh, by the way, after the death of her husband Edmund Duff, Grace discovered that not only had Edmund a fondness for spending money they didn't have, but he'd also made several bad investments, losing £5,000, that's a lot of money in 1926, on the stock market, just a few short weeks before his death. Grace was traumatised by this discovery. She had no money. She would have to take her children out of private school. Their lives would be ruined in polite society if they had to attend a state school. Oh dear, oh dear. And there's another dear. <laughs> because dear Aunt Vera, who was not willing to see her nieces and nephews suffer the indignity 
of state education stepped up to the plate and paid for the children's private education. What a woman. So back to Vera's mysterious illness. Even though she was feeling quite poorly, she called upon her robust constitution and she was determined to shake off this malaise that had beset her. The very next day, she got out of bed and forced herself to go for long walks and to meet up with friends for bridge. What a woman! Again. That evening after dinner, Vera complained of feeling unwell. Again. Was it something she ate? What did she eat? Well, there was the soup, which Cook made with fresh carrots, onions, turnips, soup powder, and water fresh from the tap. So what could possibly go wrong with that? Vera had noted, though, that the soup tasted brittle and rather gritty, and that it had an unpleasant texture. Mmm. So was it the soup that caused Vera to become unwell? Who knows? However, something was going on elsewhere in the Sydney household. Because Katie Noakes, remember her, the housekeeper? She had broken the cardinal rule of the house of helping herself to her mistress' food. She had some of the soup before she served it. And guess what? She too was sick all over the place. She had even given some of the soup to Bingo, the house cat. <laughs> Poor Bingo. And guess what? He too was sick. It's hardly unlikely that the cook would dump a deadly poison in her soup and then drink it herself. Right, so there's clearly something going on with this soup. In addition to all of that, a very strange thing was about to happen. Find out what in our next episode as we go behind the yellow tape. Thanks for listening. I am J.A. Lovelock. Join us next time as we go behind the yellow tape and catch up with more episodes at btytpodcast.com. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.